Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 312, Mark Moss, entrepreneur, investor, and host of The Mark Moss Show on YouTube and on iHeartRadio, joins me on the show, and we're talking about a range of things, starting with the energy crisis. We talk about what's causing this, why is it going on, as well as the cycles that are going on and how we are moving just through this period of immense change in our world today. So we talk about dealing with it and how to respond to this as well as obviously Bitcoin. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Sign up with swanbitcoin.com to accumulate Bitcoin with a either a lump sum purchase or by setting up your automatic recurring buy or as I like to call it Bitcoin savings plan. Now Swan Bitcoin is available internationally. You can sign up and wire in US dollars or if you're in the US you can obviously wire in or you can set up an ACH pool and that automatically withdraws the fiat from your account, purchases Bitcoin, and withdraws it to your self-custody. And for those high net worth investors or corporate entities or business entities looking to stack Bitcoin with some additional guidance and premium level support, there is Swan Private. So if you want to sign up for that, go to swanprivate.com and complete the form, and someone from the team will be in touch with you. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. With Lend at HodlHodl, you no longer have to sell your Bitcoin to get some short-term liquidity. You can actually borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin and still control your collateral with one of three keys in escrow throughout the whole deal. Now, this is a peer-to-peer market, so you set your own terms in terms of the APR and so on and the length of time for that deal. HodlHodl are going through a major security upgrade and the lending platform will be back up from the 11th of October. There's improvements coming and sign up at lend.hodlhodl.com. Bitcoin mining has become a lot more popular this year. And so for those of you who are interested to get involved, compassmining.io are making it easy for everybody. You go to the website, you select an ASIC and you can purchase that and have that shipped to a facility that has been vetted by the Compass Mining team. So you select that facility and then you join a mining pool. And then after that, you start receiving Bitcoin and you're just paying the hosting fees. Also, Compass have launched Compass at Home. So you can have mining equipment shipped to your home in the US and they've even got a Compass at Home mining guide. So Compass is making mining accessible to everybody. So go to compassmining.io and sign up today. On to the show. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Stefan. I'm uh, so excited to be here. Yeah, so Mark, you've been doing a lot of cool stuff. I think you're really good at sewing together these different macroeconomic themes, as well as talking about this idea of different cycles and what are we seeing and how that is playing out in our world uh, today. So um, yeah, and I know you just recently posted about energy crisis as well. So maybe we should get into some of that what's what's going on in these crazy global energy markets yeah you know i've always just kind of um i've just always kind of had this way where i don't know my mind puts like patterns together and i've just kind of picked things up and it's worked really good for me throughout my career both investing and as an entrepreneur seeing like things develop and trends. And so I've been really good at finding trends, jumping on trends, both for investing and for business. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I've kind of translated that to the content. And, um, you know, what's going on in the world today is uh, it's pretty evident for anybody that's paying attention. But someone like me who's been studying these trends for, for almost two decades now, I, I mean, man, what I'm seeing is just unbelievable. And I'm surprised more people aren't aren't waking up to this and, and they will be. So specifically about the energy crisis, which is literally affecting the entire world right now. A lot of people think it's just happening over there, wherever there is. Um, This morning, uh, at the time of this recording, I should say, Bitcoin is on a tear. So we're stoked for that. But as much as Bitcoin is tearing, I posted on Twitter earlier that natural gas had a move that made Bitcoin blush. (laughs) A 40% candle today. Yeah. And so prices are spiking all over the world. As a matter of fact, they're up like 800% throughout Europe. Um, and the point that I made in this uh, tweet thread I just put out and, and um, in the video that I did about it is that this is all being done by policy. It's man-made. This is the... I don't know if it's necessarily their intention, but it's the result of their intentions. And um, I made this video, which I um, was actually following up from a video 13 months ago, where I said there was rolling blackouts happening in California, where I'm from. And uh, I said, warning, what's happening in California is coming for the rest of the country and it's coming for the rest of the world. And the way I was able to predict that 13 months ago is because it was being done by policy. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I would 100% agree with you there because it's not like 
say hundreds of years ago, humanity was poor and we just didn't have energy. Now it's like we have the technology, but it's by choice, yep. uh, rather choice of the politicians and of people who are pushing things in that direction. And they are, in essence, outlawing cheap and reliable energy, which is really sad to see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And, and all this goes down to something I, I know you're super uh, deep into, you know, the Austrian school. And really, it's it's all central planning. And that's the problem, right? These central planners think that they can make changes to a complex system um, without thinking about the consequences of that. And so basically what they've done is that, you know, in order to save the world 100 years from now, um, because a temperature might go up by 1.5 degrees, which I come from California and like literally people moved out to the desert where it's 125 degrees in the summer. Uh, so I think adding one or two degrees could work. Uh, but in order to save the planet from there, they're literally putting lives at risk today. So throughout Europe right now, because of the natural gas problem that they have, they're saying people could be freezing to death this winter. Um, and so um, the fact that they're literally shutting these down now, you know, I, I tried to not get into the science of it. And I certainly could if we wanted to. But there's other people that are much better at that. I was just looking at just pure policy. And I, I know a lot of people say, hey, Mark, stick to finance, stick to Bitcoin. But with, if you don't understand the policy, you can't understand what's happening. And so they've just decided to shut down our energy sources, both natural gas and coal and even nuclear um, to go to what um, Alex Epstein calls unreliables, right? Because uh, wind or solar, wind doesn't blow all the time. Solar doesn't, the sun doesn't shine all the time. And that's exactly what's happened in Europe. And uh, what's really, really rich, <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. You can't write this any better, is a few weeks ago in the EU, um, the leaders got together, part of the UN. They're having a big meeting coming up here soon, but they got together in this pre-meeting and they doubled down on their goals to really cut down on on cheap, abundant energy. And uh, what's so rich about that is PM of uh, UK, Boris Johnson, said, quote, we are going to set the example. The UK will. They'll set the example. They want to be the springboard for the rest of Europe. And what's so funny, or I, I don't know if it's funny or not if you live there, but what's ironic about that is the UK is the absolute worst. They're having the biggest problems in the world. And to frame it up a little bit, just like in California. So in California, they shut down natural gas. They shut down coal. They shut down two out of three nuclear reactors to move to, to renewables, wind and solar. But they didn't they didn't replace it. They didn't get the wind and solar. But even more, and this is uh, this this I don't get this piece. Even more, what they thought is that well, what we'll do is we'll just get energy from our next door neighbor states, um, Nevada and uh, Arizona, whenever we need extra. So for us to have these mandates, we're going to shut our energy down. But we'll just buy the same dirty energy from our next door neighbor, and somehow I guess that's okay. The problem is that when California needs it, so do the neighbors, and they don't have any left over and the same policies happen in the uk so they have they have massive um, reserves of natural gas uh, but you know climate we're not going to get out of the ground uh, and so let's just buy it from our neighbors like what's the difference and so all of europe has literally shut down all their natural gas even though there's mass massive reserves of natural gas um, in the netherlands they just shut down their natural gas um, plants which produce 20 percent of the natural gas for Europe. Um, and now all of Europe is dependent on Russia for natural gas. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's and insane. It reminds me as well of um, these kind of virtue signaling celebrities who will be yeah. all about, oh, you should shut your emissions, but I will still fly all over the world. I will still have multiple mansions. That's what they will do, right? And they, they believe in this idea and they, some of their big corporations get behind it as well. So the likes of Apple and others who will say, oh, look, we're, we're not doing the carbon stuff. We bought an offset. So somebody else is going to do that, right? And someone else can do our dirty work. And it's the same kind of thing with these states who are trying to push it off to some other state and say, well, we're just going to buy their energy when they need it. And the, that, that's the thing with energy. You need it to be reliable, right? If some child is being born and you need an incubator or you know you need something to save someone's life, the energy must be reliable. It must be available. You can't yeah. just sort of play this game of, oh, we're going to move everything to wind and solar. But unfortunately, and this is all around the world, even in Australia. I'm not in Australia now myself, but even in Australia, this they're, they're off with the fairies. They are saying, yeah, net zero, uh, and we're just going to transition the grid. And 
it just seems insane that the people have come to accept all of this as well because you must think, well, there would be all these people who are rioting in the streets because they can't get their air conditioning or heating when they need it. It just seems really weird to me. I wonder, what, what do you think about that? Like, why are people going with this? Uh, let's talk about why they're going with it. Uh, but before I do, I want to talk about two points that you made while you were just talking. The first yeah. thing you talked about was, you know, the unreliables, which we kind of mentioned before. And so, um, the problems are happening all over the world right now, but they're happening for different reasons. So for example, all throughout Europe, well, they're all man-made, but, um, throughout Europe, they've transitioned, um, again, away from coal, away from natural gas, away from nuclear. Um, and, uh, apparently this year, this summer was a very, um, low year for wind. <laughs> the wind was abnormally low this year <laughs> and uh, they didn't produce enough power this year. Uh, but over in, in the U.S. and in Asia, it's a different problem. Mm. Over there, they rely on hydropower and we had droughts this year. And so because there was droughts, they didn't produce enough power. And so what's interesting is they were affected for different reasons, natural reasons, uh, but it shows the, the fact of these unreliables. You can't just, oh, we had a low wind year. I guess people die. <laughs> oh, I guess we had a drought year. No power this year. And so that's what they're literally doing. So like in... Um, in China, for example, right now, as we speak, they're literally starting to shut down their factories and starting to ration when they can run at different times because they don't have enough power. Well, the world is already at the breaking point on supply chain issues. Like we're already like barely hanging on and now they're literally having to shut down production because they don't have enough energy. That's in China. Uh, in Europe is the same thing. So anyway, that just kind of shows these unreliables for different reasons, different parts of the world. There's one more thing that you touched on I want to talk about also real quickly. And you talked about um, this kind of virtue signaling where um, we might call it greenwashing, where um, I can just produce as much as I want and I'll just buy some carbon credits, right? And I'll offset that, I'll virtue signal that, greenwash it. And what the government does is they think they can put policies in place that would affect or curb people's use. So like in America, um, smoking is bad for you. So, oh, I have a great idea. Let's just add a bunch of tax onto that and people will smoke less. <laughs> well, it didn't really work, but they've done the same thing with carbon credits where they say, well, here's what we'll do is we'll just charge companies to pr produce carbon and that will just be enough in itself to get them to you know, reduce that. Uh, but it, it hasn't. And, and here's where it adds to the problem. So the policy's already made the problem as bad as it is. But on top of it, in Europe, they have what's called cap and trade. So cap and trade is basically uh, keep producing as much carbon as you want, but now you have to buy our carbon credits. Well, two things happen. <laughs> always supply and demand. And so uh, because everyone is forced to buy it now, the demand has gone up. And so the, the prices have gone up. And at the same time, the governments have restricted the amount of carbon credits. So the demand has gone up, the supply has come down. So what happens? Well, of course, the cost goes sky high. Well, now the producers of the energy, the electricity companies, uh, one, electricity companies need natural gas, which they can't get. It's up 800%. And now to even make it worse, they're being forced by governments to buy carbon credits and it's pushed the prices up so high that throughout the UK, over a dozen energy companies have already gone bankrupt. Throughout Germany, all, all the companies are falling insolvent right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so if the policies weren't bad enough restricting it, now they're putting these cap and trade things on. I mean, it's just insanity. Well, actually, one point I wanted to touch on there as well is that it takes a big investment to do these big, like to make the, you know, coal and natural gas and basically any of these large industrial scale level energy, it takes a, a big investment and a lot of time. And so what happens over time is, you know, part of the, I guess, the theory, if you believed in it, is this idea that governments should have created this kind of set of ground rules that people could trust and rely on. But what's happening now is effectively governments are out here rug pulling all these people who years ago made these investments into these big, whatever it was, coal or natural gas or other energy, reliable and cheap energy. And now because of the game is constantly, yep. they're, they're all worried about getting rug pulled. And so in that sense, yep. it makes it harder and harder for them to go and engage in a new project because they're like, well, if I go and start this new coal project, I don't know what the prevailing political winds will be in five or 10 years. And that, that may impact my payback period. I may not be profitable on this project. Therefore, I'm just not going to make that investment. And so then the population yep. suffers because now they don't have access to cheap and reliable energy, which previously we took for granted. We just thought, oh, turn the light switch on and the lights come on. And we are really getting to that point. And actually, one other point I wanted to touch on with the whole virtue signaling aspect of it, 
there might be some rich people or celebrities who genuinely think, yeah, look, we, I'm just going to pay my offsets and like that. But the problem even there is it's an accessibility thing. So r- maybe a rich person can afford to pay this fancy offset and to do all this stuff, but for poor and middle-class people, they can't necessarily afford it. And so that's a real problem. Yeah, it's a massive problem. And a a practical example of that is I'm in Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico has massive power outage and shortage problems as well. Um, A week ago on my side of the island, um, the power kept going out over and over and over. I mean, we literally were going like 12 hours a day without electricity and um, over 800,000 people on the island were affected by that. I had work to do, I needed to work. And so I literally got in my car, well, actually I hopped on a plane and flew to the other side of the island. And I posted up in the city for a week where there was plenty of electricity and I got a hotel room and I rented a little office down the street. And, uh, you know, I had to leave my house and that was kind of a pain in the butt, but like my life didn't suffer um, because I had money. Uh, Unfortunately, the poor people on the island were literally dealing with 95 degree temperature, no electricity, couldn't even run a fan, their food spoiling in the the refrigerator. Um, And so, yeah, the poor people are adversely affected by this in in a really, really big way. And so when they, when, you know, you keep hearing about these central planners talking about equality and um, you know income inequality and things like that all their policies do is adversely affect the poor people um, and so it's kind of I- ironic I guess you could say yeah yeah and well I guess that also brings it back to that point of why are they going with this like surely people would vote in the person who's saying this is nonsense let's just have reliable and cheap energy what's what's going on what's your take on why that's happening well, I mean, unfortunately, I think the answer is actually somewhat simple, and 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 it all comes down to education. The people haven't um, one haven't been educated. Two, they've purposely been taught not to think for themselves. Uh, we've seen this very evident um, throughout this last year. Literally, memes follow the science. Yeah, literally, memes going around where the government's gaslighting people, telling them, "Do not do your own research." That's they're literally telling people that, "Do not do your own research." And so, uh, one, we've been trained through school to not think about it. Not, um, not, not to question these things. And now, like I said, being told to not question them. And the reason why I would say that is because, uh, you know, somebody that's been taught basics in elementary of, you know, supply and demand, for example, would understand these things. But when I, um, when I posted some stuff about what was happening in, in Puerto Rico, um, uh, not a lot because of my, you know, my following has been a little bit cultivated, but, um, a lot of the comments did say like, well, um, the, the, the government needs to take over the power companies. We need more central planning. And so a lot of people think that these problems that we're having with shortages are caused by capitalism. They're being caused by um, free markets and they're being caused by greedy people. And then they think that the answer is more central government. Uh, but what they're failing to realize is it's the actual central government that's causing the problem. And again, like I said, if, if even, even just, I mean, my kids can understand this concept. It's so simple. Like, Imagine if there was two power companies here in in Puerto Rico, they would both be competing to offer me better product at a better price with better service. And so they would each be innovating to try to get cleaner energy and a way they could produce it more for less. And uh, they would make sure that my service never was interrupted because if my service was interrupted, I would go to the competitor, right? And so they would compete and they would make things better. But when the government, when the central planners take it over and even worse, uh, politicians take it over. And so uh, we saw this happen in Venezuela, which has, you know, more Venezuela has more oil than anywhere in the world, more than Saudi Arabia. But when they went, became socialist, they pulled the people that knew how to run energy, pulled them out and they put their brother-in-laws and their cronies in. And of course, they don't know anything about running energy. And so now today, they can't even get the oil out of the ground barely. Um, and, and the same thing is happening in, in Puerto Rico. We saw AOC come over here a few months ago and hold this uh, conference. And she said, um, we need to shut down the diesel, the gas diesel generator plant, which produces 20% of the energy on the island. We need to shut that down. And she said, uh, it's not going to have, I've talked to people and they said it's going to have no adverse effects on the amount of energy and the price that people pay. And like, really? So like you can shut down 20% of the production in an island that already has massive problems and that's not going to have any effect. And so when you have politicians that have no understanding of how to run energy, neither do I. uh, But the problem is you put them into positions to run these things and and central planning always fails. Yeah. And you make a lot of great points there. And also 
in many cases, it was earlier interventions that caused some of these problems. And you know what else is funny is, depending on the political rhetoric, obviously it varies on different countries, but sometimes people try to frame it like cap and trade is actually a free market thing. Because look, there's a price that you put on the carbon. But wait, it's actually a government set price. It's, it's price fixing. The government right. has set a price and it's central planning. But people, unfortunately, have not taken the time to do the learning on real economics and competence now is not valued it's almost like virtue signaling is more important than competence which is a bad trend for society and the world to be going in isn't it and it's like i think it ties into the virtue signaling now is trust the experts yeah right that's the virtue so it's like almost now virtuous to say i'm just going to default to the expert as opposed to me trying to learn anything about it which is crazy exactly it's all about compliance and i think even all the mask rules around i mean it, yeah so that's one angle. And I think, you know, the cycles aspect that you've been talking about a lot as well, it, it sort of starts to make you think about, well, maybe that's how some of these things went down in history is that people, the, the environment around them was just so bad that they weren't able to push back and resist. And maybe we're coming into another time like that. Yeah, well, so, you know, I've been doing a lot of work and looking at historical cycles throughout um, multiple different kind of areas. Just, you know, when you're looking at, especially like in financial markets, you're looking for like indicators and indicators, hopefully they're leading indicators, which kind of tell you what may come next. So, you know, unsustainable debt levels, <laughs> uh, zero interest rates, things like that. And they kind of predict what comes next. Um, but what happens is with indicators is you don't want to look at just one, you want to look at multiple. And so I've looked at these different cycles and, and there's um, different parts of the world or the economy work in different ways. So you have this um, this 250-year revolution cycle, which is uh, pretty amazing. Um, and that's like a political, social, cultural thing. Um, but then you have a, a technological revolution cycle that works on a 50-year, so 250 cycle, a 50-year cycle. Um, and then you have like a financial revolution cycle that runs on like an 80-year cycle. And so they work on different timeframes and they're all happening at different times. Uh, but sometimes... Occasionally, like right now, all three actually converge at the same time. And so like we're kind of at this point right now, and I think it's pretty evident to people. But but if we look at just like kind of the political, social, cultural side, um, what's interesting is um, on an 84-year cycle, um, it's like a populist uprising or a regime change cycle. So 84 years ago was the end of World War II. We had Mussolini. We had Hitler. Uh, we had FDR did the New Deal and changed America kind of to a socialist country. Um, 84 years before that was uh, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, uh, which led to the European um, Spring, which is the largest revolution in, in European history. Um, so those are 84-year cycles. But um, three 84-year cycles, three times 84 equals 252. So 250 years, we have a revolution. And basically, as far back as you go through history, um, you see that, um, you know, human nature wants to be free. <laughs> They're pushing to be free. Some humans want to control them. And then they get a little bit of power, a little bit of control. And then that power grows, oppression grows until the point it's too much to bear. And then revolution happens and then freedom. And it just kind of repeats over and over. So 250 years ago from right now was the American French Revolution. 250 years before that was the Protestant Reformation. And both of those represent um, the people rejecting centralization or rejecting globalization and moving to decentralization. So in the United States, we rejected the monarchy, the centralization, the globalization of the, of the, of the, of the crown, and set up a decentralized government. So the, the United States was set up as a republic, which was a decentralized form of governance, which was pretty amazing uh, when you look at it today. Um, and I think it's pretty evident to anybody, I mean, if you're paying attention to these, what we're just even talking about here, um, these problems that we're just talking about as far as energy are the result of central planning or, or, you know, centralization. And so I think it's pretty evident to see that we're like literally at peak centralization. We have the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, the World Meteorological Association, we have the UN, we have the IMF, um, and the whole world now like peak centralization. But at the same time, we're starting to see it all falling apart. So their policies are now starting to have massive adverse effects. And at the same time, we're seeing the population push back against that. Now, pre-pandemic, there was over 10 countries with over 1 million people each marching in the streets. Um, the pandemic somehow made that go away, uh, but it's all coming back pretty quickly. Um, mainstream media won't, won't show that, but I know <laughs> you're from Australia and it's, 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 it's breaking apart down there really bad. Um, and what 
so we can see that peak centralization is here. We can see that the world is pushing back on it at the same time. And we can also see that central planning is failing in a spectacular way, like we're talking about um, with the energy. And when peop the, the, the breaking point for every revolution, and we just go back to like the Arab Spring from a few, several years ago or any other one before that, the breaking point is when people can't eat. Yeah. And with the energy supply chain problems that we're having throughout Europe, that's what's starting to happen. And so uh, I think that we're going to hit peak centralization um, and then we'll move back to a decentralized form of governance and this this kind of globalization falls apart. Right. Yeah. And so, look, I think I broadly I think a lot of what you're saying makes sense. Now, let's say the steel man, right? The, uh, they, the, the person might counter argument to you here, and I don't necessarily believe this, but they might say, look, Mark, it's transitory. It's, uh, we've just had temporary shutdowns because of all the, uh, the COVID shutdowns. And, you know, once things open up, then, you know, the prices might come back down. Uh, and so it's transitory. You're just, you know, you're raising too much alarm. What would you say to that person? Well, I'd, I'd say two things to that person. First off, I would say, um, uh, if you've ever ran a business, you would understand that once prices go up, they don't usually come back down. So that's one. But two, what I'd say is that I don't believe they're transitory. Uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock doesn't think it's transitory. Most of the Fed doesn't think it's transitory either. And the reason why is because these are being done by policy, as I've just kind of broken down with the energy, for example. So they are artificially, or I shouldn't say artificial, but man-made pushing the prices of energy up. Um, and so the only way to get those prices back down would be for them to reverse their policy. And so... Um, you know, I just talked about um, in China, they're literally shutting down factories because they don't have enough energy, which is only going to make supply chain issues worse, not better. So one, watch the policies. If the policies magically reversed, okay, back to a free market, then potentially, yeah, prices could come back down and there'd be there'd be some um, transitory of that. The other thing that I'd say, though, too, is then this kind of gets into the next um, piece, which is the financial side, the financial revolution. Uh, but the big problem that we have is that we don't have a free market. And the way that a the way that a market so the central planners think that a market is like a machine that could be built and managed. But it's not. It's organic, right? It's made up of people that are irrational, that have wants, needs, and desires that change all the time. And so how do you coordinate an economy in the U.S. of 330 million people or you know, 7, 8 billion people in the world? And how does the exact product I need show up on the shelf at the exact time I want and at the price I need it? Well, it's done through coordination through the price signal. And <clears throat> the price signal has been distorted. So the Fed, the United States Fed, dumped in about $8 trillion in the last year. And so it's distorted the price signal. And so people don't know what's going on anymore. And so um, normally in a time when supply chains were backing up, um, and now prices are sky high and people think, oh, well, we'll just, you know, it'll, it'll find its equilibrium. Well, it, it could if there was true price discovery. So what would happen is uh, the prices to unload ships would go way up. So people would go build more facilities to unload ships. And then that increased supply would then bring the price down. The problem is, though, because of this price signal is so messed up, it's preventing that from happening. So because inflation is so high, it's too expensive for me to go build a new port to pull the ships up. So the regulations are too high. The costs are too high because of inflation. The materials are in short supply. So I can't go alleviate that need. And so um, that's why it's not transitory, in my opinion. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about improving your security with Unchained Capital? With number go up, it's time to think about upgrading your Bitcoin security beyond custodians or even single signature wallets. With Unchained, you can create a two of three multi-signature vault. So you hold two hardware wallets and obviously keep them in different locations and Unchained hold the third key. So if you're not sure about all this stuff, Unchained make it easy for you. They've got a concierge onboarding package or there's also a free consultation option. So just remember, you want to eliminate single points of failure because no matter how careful you are, sometimes things can go wrong. And when they do, you want to be confident that your savings are not going to zero. So with the Unchained concierge service, you can have hardware wallets shipped to you and you'll have a video call done so you can get set up even if you have never held your Bitcoin private keys before. And then once you're set up with Unchained, there's all sorts of other services such as Bitcoin retirement accounts and Bitcoin-backed loans. So go to Unchained.com and select the concierge package either on personal or business and get $50 off with the code Levera. CoinKite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. 
It looks like a little calculator and basically this little device can store the private keys and sign messages for your Bitcoin transactions. And it's really cool because you can use this one air-gapped, meaning you get an SD card and you move it back and forth between the cold card and your computer. And it's really easy to use with wallets like Sparrow or Spectre Desktop or Electrum or Blue Wallet. I've long been a fan of this wallet. It offers very high security at such a relatively low price point. And it has all sorts of security features and new uh, abilities like the ability to use Seed XOR or the ability to have an address explorer to view the addresses on device. There's all sorts of features. So go and explore at coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount on your cold card. Now, don't forget about backing up your coins. Cyphersafe.io are creating metal seed backup products like the Cypher Wheel, and they've got a new product coming called the Cypher Grid. This has two plates for all 24 seed words, and you get an automatic center punch. So you go there and you stamp in for those words, normally four tiles or four letters per word in this case, and you can lock this one with a padlock and you get a tamper evidence seal provided. This product is fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So when you're securing and backing up your Bitcoin, make sure you can recover it if something happened to your hardware wallet device and don't just trust that piece of paper and make sure you and your family and your loved ones can recover those coins if something happens. So go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Levera to order yours. Back to the show. Yeah, uh, very, very well put. And I think it comes back to the Austrian story and explanation around malinvestment and that what's happened is cheap credit has created a world where people get the wrong signal. They get sent the wrong signal and think, oh, look, I can go. These resources are available for me to use. But actually, when they try to go and use them, they're not there when they need them, because what's happened is the capital that was needed is just simply it's not. It's not there. Like they've been sent the wrong signal, and that's very unfortunate. And so, whether it's because of that that aspect, or they're being politically stopped because of again the virtue signaling, the politicians who stop them from producing cheap and reliable energy. In that example, and it can have such strong knock-on effects as well. Because if energy costs go up, the cost for all these other things goes up as well. Because everything you've got to you've got to produce things. How how else do you produce? So it's a very and transport. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How do you transport the goods to where it's needed? And so it's such a difficult thing. And so I guess, how are you thinking about it in terms of what people can do about this, right? So let's say, maybe you're not necessarily like really rich, but you're kind of, you know, you're cognizant about some of these things, you're concerned about these things. What are some steps that you can take to try to protect yourselves? Well, I think well, what's interesting when you look at these three revolutionary cycles that are converging right now. So at a time when like the like politically, socially, culturally, like I said, the world is kind of peak globalization and the pendulum's about to swing back the other way. Um, what's interesting is that typically solutions come to problems. Um, in a world run by central bankers, we have a bunch of money chasing you know imaginary things, but typically solutions come to problems. And what's interesting is um, we have this 50-year technological revolution cycle that's hitting at the exact same time. And um, these aren't new technologies, not like an iPhone or Uber or Airbnb. I'm talking about a, a technological revolution that literally changes the course of humanity. So there's only been five. I'll just run through them real quick. But we have... Um, we had in the 1700s, we had the um, Industrial Revolution, which literally changed the whole world, brought people from farms and cottage industry into cities and factories. Um, then we had approximately 50 years later, we had uh, steel and steam engines. So all of humanity, we had manpower and horsepower. And now we have steam engines. That was a massive invention. And steel allowed us to go from a two-story brick building to skyscrapers and bridges and things like that. Um, approximately 50 years later, we had electricity. Now, at the time, this is an important piece. At the time, electricity was kind of like a digital candle. Like, do we need that? I mean, candles work pretty good. They've worked for 5,000 years, right? <laughs> do we need a digital candle? But electricity <laughs> was so much more, and it enabled us to do what we're doing today um, and change humanity. About 50 years later, we had the age of oil, automobiles, and mass production, assembly lines. And so, again, uh, all of humanity, people walked and rode horses, <laughs> And now we have cars. Now we can transport materials. Now we can tr you know, transport things. Um, then about 50 years later, 1971, we had the age of the microprocessor, which brought us personal computers, which brought us telecommunications, which brought us the internet, which allows us to do exactly what we're doing today. Um, 1971, add 50 years, puts us at right now today, and we're witnessing another technological revolution. Not a new technology, a technological revolution that will literally change the course of humanity. And what's interesting about that technological revolution is, again, the solution comes to the problem. Well, the problem is peak centralization, peak globalization. 
That's the problem. The solution that we have, the next technological revolution, is giving us decentralized technology. It solves the problem that we have, which is which is pretty important to understand. So um, I think how do people navigate through this? I think one is to understand that we actually have a tool now that can solve that problem. And it can solve that problem in a number of ways that people um, can take advantage of. So one, um, it can help us store our our money. So during these technological revolutions, massive wealth is created, massive wealth transfers. If you go back and study just the last couple, like the 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 you know computer age or information age boom, or you go back to the automobile boom, or go back to the steel age, you'll notice that each time it was different groups of people that got rich. It wasn't the same people over and over. Um, the old people go out, the incumbents go out, creative destruction, and the new way ushers in a new peop- uh, whole new you know, set of people. And so this is a massive opportunity for people that understand this technological revolution and can jump into it. And um, we're going to need money to navigate this because as prices go up for everything, we're going to need more money for that. Uh, but the other way that I think it really helps is it literally solves the root of the problem. The root of the problem is centralization, right? The central planning, that's the root. And so, you know, for years I've listened to the libertarians and the, the anarchists and these people and they, you know, they, they understand the problem um, and rightfully so, you know, they're correct and they're, they're angry about it, but they don't have a, they don't have a solution for it. And, and, and this decentralized revolution, Bitcoin, the technology, the platform, the network solves that, right? So one, it can help us with our money. Two, it literally solves the problem of centralization yeah yeah and look i think it's interesting as well so obviously bitcoin is massive it's a huge part of this obviously um you know regularly saving into bitcoin is is i think a big part of the answer i also am seeing more and more of an appetite for this idea people frame it in different ways some people have said it like it's a national divorce or it's a devolution of power down from the federal down to the state's levels and we're starting to see that come in the conversation and it's not just the right-wing people it's actually people on the left as well and so it's it seems to be there's a little bit more of a conversation around that at least as i read the conversation in in the u.s and so yeah this is something that libertarians and you know my friend jeff dice over at the mises institute has done a talk called smaller is better and this idea of trying to wherever you can push that power closer to where that individual is so instead of federal have it at state instead of state have it at local instead of local the individual and the family and so maybe that is also a trend and a direction that we're going to see and we're going to see more of this idea of different you know people move to just be in the places that actually support freedom maybe that's that's really where it's going to go. Well, it's 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 massive, and so I think it's it's evident uh, to anybody paying attention. Like the world's trending towards totalitarianism or authoritarianism or whatever you want to call it. And um, not only is it trending that way, it's even more scary than that in a sense where technology is giving these authoritarians the tools they need to kind of create this perfect enslavement. Um, right? They're trying to get your whole world into one switch with your social credit score and your CBDCs and your health pass and your global ID and all these things into one location that could be turned in on and off. And so the world is trending that way. And I just ask people the question, like, what do you think breaks that trend? Does the government wake up one day and say, ah, we have too much power. Let's give some freedom back. And I would say the answer is no, that doesn't happen. Um, And I don't think it's really through guns either. I think the answer is kind of to your point, competition. Competition is what breaks that trend. And so in the United States, we saw um, Texas and Florida outcompete New York and California, and massive people came um, or left those states, productive people left. And then both governors found themselves on the chopping block. Um, we saw, um, and, and I think it gets even bigger when, so when states can compete, cities can compete, or when nations can compete. And so, you know, I grew up under the Cold War, the, the Russia and the Berlin Wall fell when I was in high school, so I kind of grew up under that. I had lots of friends who had moved from oppressive countries in Europe to the United States. When they came, they came penniless. They couldn't get their money out of the banks. They couldn't carry their gold bars. They couldn't bring their real estate. And so when they, they did leave to come to America to be productive, um, but what what does it really matter to the country if you leave, but they keep all your wealth, right? But now today we can like take our wealth with us, which I think speeds that competition loop up. And I think uh, that is what 
breaks that trend. Um, and then ultimately, I mean, the point of, of what you just said, you know, smaller governments, I'm, of course, I'm 100% into that. I mean, that's been the goal of the, the libertarians or specifically more of the anarchists for a long time. The problem is, how do you break the power grip from the central planners in order to be left alone at your state or city level? And so that's where there wasn't that practical application. And I think that's kind of where Bitcoin uh, fits in. Yeah, that's right. And I think we might potentially see some smaller states with an incentive to go that direction. As an example, Texas, right? They've got their own yeah. energy grid. Obviously, we've been talking about energy as well. So that's an important part. Uh, they yeah. have historically a culture of being very more independent, uh, more of a yep. discussion around secession. Uh, so I think that is that's an example, right? And maybe elsewhere in the world, there might be other countries that perhaps, though not perfect, have developed a lot compared to what people's conception of those countries was, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago, of, of saying we might have looked at those countries and thought, oh, that's really too just not developed enough. I wouldn't go and live there. But really now, 20, 30 years on, they've developed up a lot. And although they wouldn't necessarily have the exact same uh, very high standards in the West of, you know, uh, the typical US, America, UK, sorry, Australia, Canada, they, they could have more of a viable alternative for people. And so maybe that's something that people will really start to think about more. And it's something that's on my mind as well, obviously. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, that kind of international aspect and the countries that have come up a lot recently. Yeah. So one, I mean, just back to what you, what you said, the succession or some sort of uh, divorce. I, I think at this point, it's kind of the only way forward that the two sides are just so far apart and not just uh, in the U.S., but Canada, Australia, same thing. Um, and so, I mean, you need to kind of, there needs to be that separation. Um, if we can't get that separation, you know, in your country where you're at, then and to your point, internationally, you may have to go and do that. Um, I'm a surfer, so I've been traveling the whole world, going surfing all over the world. And, and typically, we go to very remote places because we're trying to find places where people don't go, uh, so the waves aren't as crowded. Um, and so I've been to a lot of very remote places all through Mexico, all through Central America. Um, and um, to, to your point, I mean, yeah, they're, you know, they have made massive improvements, but they're still not anywhere near what, what you might expect in Australia or, or the U.S. or Canada. Um, and so, unfortunately, we're kind of at this point, I think, where there's nowhere in the world that you can go to have it all anymore. And so you need to figure out what's most important to you, and then you have to optimize for that. And so for me, like freedom is the number one uh, value at the top of my list. And so I will sacrifice convenience in order to get more freedom. And so um, I've been down to El Salvador a couple of times uh, throughout the year surfing. I've been down there since they did the Bitcoin Beach thing. And uh, it's a beautiful country. The weather's awesome. I could live on the beach and surf and fish every day. Um, I could live pretty free because, because those countries are so underdeveloped. Um, there's a lot of just being left alone there, but at the same time, you don't have any of the conveniences or, or most of the conveniences that you would find in these developed nations. You don't have those. Um, but the one thing that I think has really changed and at least even the plane filled out is that you pretty much have internet anywhere now. And I think as long as you have internet, like that seems to me like it's kind of like a, a base level. Like if I can get food, um, I can have a nice shelter um, and I can be on the internet, like um, then I'll definitely optimize for freedom. And I think um, what we'll see is, and, and unfortunately this is gonna probably play out over a number of years or, or even this decade. Um, but yeah, as more and more people like El Salvador, for example, has now opened up this program to attract investment in to the country um, just by making Bitcoin uh, legal reserve um, or tender it's brought all this investment in and now they're encouraging it if you invest three Bitcoin you get um, um, residency etc and so um, you know we'll see it develop but it's, it's definitely gonna be a slower road yeah yeah that's it and I, I think it's yeah it's an interesting point as well around priorities what's your priority because even there, you might think, well, it, there's things like freedom against like all the restrictions and freedom from so, taxes, like so. And then thinking about how, like, what's most important for you. And I guess that's also about trying to understand what are the options available out there that you can 
go to and use uh, and um, managing that process of transitioning your life out of the country that you once knew and loved and maybe it's gone downhill a bit and it's time to get out or maybe even get out and take your family out with you. So I think those are things that freedom lovers are all thinking about at this point. And I'll tell you what, I'm getting a lot of messages even from my listeners uh, and followers who are saying, oh, how'd you get out? How do you do it? I'm, I want to get out too. And yeah, I think it's, it's just on everyone's minds right now. It's interesting. Um, I've been following somebody uh, called the Sovereign Man, Simon Black, for like over a decade, and um, he's really helped shape my worldview kind of to where I have today. And and I've been waiting for this to happen for like over a decade because I've been I've been reading his stuff, right? And uh, I've always I wanted to check out on politics a little bit, but I've been paying attention almost selfishly, waiting because I knew at some point those walls were going to close in. At some point, I was going to have to leave. I want to get out before the doors close, like what happened to you in Australia. And it's interesting because like Lennon says, right, there's decades where nothing seems to happen and there's days where decades seem to happen. And so like for the last decade, I've been waiting for this to happen and like nothing has been happening. And then all of a sudden, like in a year, it's like, whoa, it's like it's there. And so for me, uh, you know, I see all these people, like you said, in Australia that are stuck there. I get messages from them as well. And my goal, like, I don't want to get stuck inside my country. And so like I would leave before that happens. Um, but that's, again, my, my personal values. Um, I've talked to other people who are like, I'll just move to Sweden or Norway and I'll gladly pay the 60 or 70% taxes because I can live free there. And so everybody just, I guess, has their different levels that they're looking for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, you, it might literally be worthwhile in this world where if you just want to be able to live a normal life. And I think that's ultimately what a lot of people want. They're not necessarily very politically engaged or active. They just want to be able to live and raise their family and grill and yeah. you know do those typical family things right and so it just forces a lot more people to start thinking about these things and so yeah i think that's that's a big part of it also around the narrative and the messaging it just seems like the authorities and the the powers that be have this way of controlling how everyone thinks because the average person is just watching TV and then anyone who's trying to speak out against it, they get censored. And, you know, for all we know, this this conversation might get censored off of YouTube. Who knows? But yeah. it just it, it, it is a bit concerning. And so in my mind, here's a couple of things I'm thinking about. Like, so, of course, yeah, there are some of these other platforms that are trying to offer a more decentralized way to put out video content, audio content, text, blogs, whatever. But then the issue is reach. You can't reach as many people. And so... It's it's a, it's a unfortunate trade-off that we have to all really think about more carefully. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you think about this as well, right? You have a, a big audience yeah. on YouTube and yet you don't want to just say goodbye to that because obviously that's, you know, you need that. But I guess at the same time, you're trying to build onto other platforms or is that is that something you're looking at? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, following uh, Sun Tzu, The Art of War, I mean, you have to kind of realize we're in a war and you have to kind of learn the techniques for that. And so what I'm doing, what my plan is, is um, there's a lot of new technology that's actually being built on the Bitcoin protocol. And so I'm looking at setting up some of uh, some of my communities on that. I'm afraid if I go, you know, there's several communities right now. I mean, there's like library, which uh, my YouTube videos go over there. And that's like this decentralized blockchain kind of thing. I'm not super confident in their censorship resistant capabilities. And then you have other platforms like Locals or Rumble, things like that. But I'm afraid of the rug pull as well. So I spend all this time putting my audience over there and then that gets shut down. Um, and so there's a couple of communities that are opening up that I'm looking at um, setting up that I think could be there long term. But to your point, you don't have the reach. And so this kind of art of war is like, let's use the enemy's weapons. <laughs> um, and so let's continue to use YouTube. Let's continue to use Twitter. Let's continue to use the tools that they have. But I think we have to, unfortunately, you know, toe the line and kind of uh, play along with their rules. And we use those for reach. And then we bring people into our communities where then we can really go d deep with them and, and give them the information that we need. And so that's my plan. That's what I'm working on right now to continue to use YouTube and Twitter to get as close to the line as I can without going over it, but to continue to pull people and then push them into a community that I can control. So one, I have an email list, so I kind of control that. Um, but two, I want to set up these communities um, where then we can really talk about the things that we want. Um, anyway, that's, that's my, that's my yeah. plan for now. Yeah, and I think that's useful for like a lot of listeners of my show as well, because they might have their own content they're trying to make and put out there. And it's just useful for us to have these ways. And I think I think you're right, because it would be silly to just kind of give up, seed that turf when we've already spent time fighting to build up an audience or build up yeah. a, a brand. 
you can't just seed that turf, but you also and, have to and be, you don't yeah. want and you don't want to blow that up either. So some people are like, I'm just going to say whatever I'm going to say, and I don't care if I get banned. It's like, well, I don't want to give it up, and I don't want to get banned either. Like, let's use their weapon against them. And I think if you're smart enough, it's easy enough to get your points across without getting banned, at least for now. Eventually, we'll probably get there. Um, but while we can, like, just use their tools and 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 harvest people, you know, as yeah. much as we can. I think that's the I think that is a clever approach and something we we all have to think about because whether we're Bitcoiners trying to get our Bitcoin message out there or whether we are talking about sovereignty and how to achieve that, uh, libertarians trying to talk about liberty, all of these things are going to get shut down eventually. Like at least that that seems that's the current track we're on. So we yeah. have to be wary with that. But of course, there's also live events. And I know you've got a live event on soon. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I am having a live event while we're still able to have them. I thought about pushing it till next year. But at the rate we're going, I mean, who knows if we can have them next year. Um, and so what I think, so there's these three revolutionary cycles happening, we didn't get into all three of them. But basically, um, I believe that this decade is going to probably change the course of the world. I think we'll see the end of this giant centralization. Of course, the World Economic Forum says by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Um, Mark Carney, head of Bank of England and Bank of Canada and UN, etc., he says that you need to be prepared to have a worse life. You need to make you need to be prepared to not be able to fly, not be able to drive, not be able to eat meat, etc. And so they have a plan for our lives. I don't like that plan. I don't want that plan for my life. And I think history tells us that that plan doesn't actually work. And I, so I think that at probably the end of the decade, we'll see the end of the giant nation state. And I think there's massive hope and prosperity on the other side. The problem is, how do we get from here to there? And I think things, unfortunately, probably continue to get worse for the next several years uh, before we start to see things getting better. And so while I do have a message of hope, like I said, I want to stay alive to, to survive and thrive that. And so I'm having a live event to kind of focus specifically on that, um, bringing some of the best people, including you, coming over to talk about, you know, what you're seeing happening now, what you think is going to happen over the next couple of years, and most importantly, kind of what you're doing or, or how you think you would survive that. You're a perfect person because you're literally living it uh, as a refugee from your own country today. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to look at it from like the political side, the, the financial side, uh, tools that we have, financial tools that we have, and even getting into you know sustainable living, passports, plan B, um, asset protection strategies, because I don't want to own nothing by 2030. Um, <laughs> and so really give everybody the tools that they need to understand and to navigate these next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited for it. I actually, yeah, I think it'll be a great event. I'm looking forward to it myself. So it'll be uh, November 12th to 14th. Yeah, yeah. November 12th to 14th in Miami, um, which is, uh, you know, Florida and Texas are those two states holding it down. So we want to go bring them some business. So yeah, uh, November November 12th to 14th in Miami, uh, Stefan, myself, um, a bunch of a bunch of good Bitcoiners, a bunch of other people are going to be there. So definitely, you know, and the other thing that's important to understand, I think, in order to navigate through this is isn't just the, the knowledge. I mean, you need the knowledge, have actual knowledge, but also you need to build a community. And the community is just such an important piece that people, I think, really overlook. And so getting to events like this where you can actually meet people and build relationships and build rapport and have people to talk to and have people to lean on is also going to be a massive piece of navigating this. And so, um, you know, I know you and I, we get to talk sometimes online, but like getting to hang out in person um, and all the other people that can come and meet other people, it's a really important piece. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it's time for everyone to really, at least for the action taking people to really meet up and start planning things and doing things, whether that is, you know, learning a bit more about Bitcoin or learning a bit more about what you're going to do about it, learning how to protect your assets. I think there's a lot there uh, that people can learn and share their strategies on that. So yeah, I think it'll be a really cool event. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's probably all we've got time for for today. I've just I've got to pack up and run. Um, got got a couple of things on. But uh, Mark, where people where can uh, people find you online? Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm all over YouTube. Uh, just search Mark Moss, or I'm really active on Twitter. One Mark Moss. Um, the best place probably is just go to my website, just onemarkmoss.com onemarkmoss.com and you'll find information on the event and, and all my social media stuff. Fantastic. Well, Mark, I enjoyed chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing you in person. Thanks so much, Stefan. Appreciate it. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com. Make sure to share the show so people can learn about Bitcoin. And I'll see you in the Citadels.